those sorts of things which before would have absolutely tipped me into a pit of self-loathing I mean and that's a strong word to me but that's sort of how it feels mm. that like oh my gosh I'm so useless what's wrong with me mm. um, and would it go round and round and round and round and round oh round and round and round <laughs> absolutely with no no way of getting off it mm. And suddenly I was seeing all this stuff and I, I, do you know, I've actually goose pimples now talking about it. And I thought, so I'm choosing to focus on the restriction when I could choose to focus on that joy. And we spoke about this once, Nikki. Do you remember something had happened and I messaged you and you said, well, how are you going to respond to it? And I said, well, I think I just probably need to uh, move house and move to another country. <laughs> yes, I remember you saying <laughs> I'm resisting saying great work because it's not for me to say. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but I love a bit of praise. As your friend, great work. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. Hi, I'm Nikki Ship. And I'm Carrie Overton. And we're so excited to be sharing the ADHD connection with you. In each episode, we'll be talking about how our ADHD has impacted us over the last couple of weeks and using our skills as coaches to try and figure it out together. So join us as we explore the ups, the downs, the highs and lows of living with ADHD because, let's be honest, one way or another, it's a pretty eventful journey. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Nikki. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Um, so what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Well, the thing I think that's been... I've ha well, I feel like I've had a little bit of a breakthrough with uh, something that I have struggled with all my life, which is emotional regulation. Mm. And I know that's, yeah, something that's really common for people with ADHD, although interestingly and crazily is not part of the diagnostic process mm. for ADHD. Yes. And yet I think most people who have been diagnosed with ADHD or you know, fit within the description of ADHD would say it's probably one of the most difficult things for them to deal with. I don't know what your experience of that is. Absolutely, totally, um, both on a personal level and on uh, the sort of client level and friends. It's definitely, uh, it leads to overwhelm and all sorts of problems. So, yes. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, most of my clients who have ADHD that I work with on that, that is the most common issue that they want to deal with. And I think looking back on my life, having now I have been diagnosed and I guess growing up, ADHD was never on the radar for me. It wasn't something I ever thought about. No. Uh, you know, which it probably wasn't for most people over the age of about I'd say 30 actually mm. especially women um so it never crossed my mind that I had ADHD I think I was just thought I was a bit unhinged um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean that's not to say that I guess the two aren't mutually exclusive <laughs> yeah they didn't they didn't do that as part of your diagnostic session <laughs> is she unhinged <laughs> But, you know, it's something I have always struggled with, a sort of keeping my, keeping my emotions in check. But I think it's one of those things that it's only when you look back 
and somebody tells you about this thing called emotional dysregulation and rejection sensitivity dysphoria, that you think, oh, mm. this is a thing and it's not just me being unhinged or crazy or or anything else. Or pathetic um, or any yeah. other self-judgment that we dish out to ourselves. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know about you, but for me, it doesn't have to be a big thing that completely swings my mood um, from what, what I would consider my natural level of mood on a scale of one to, you know how we coaches like to put everything on scales of one to 10. So yeah. if 10 is really high, like, oh my gosh, I couldn't be happier. And one is, oh my gosh, this is absolutely awful. Mm. I think that my natural state is probably about an eight. Yeah. I'm naturally quite buoyant, I would say, most yes. of the time. That's not been true throughout my life, but I would say, you know, I'm generally quite a cheerful, happy person. But the difficulty is, is that if something threatens that, I don't drop to a six or a five. I will go to a to a three or a two. Yeah. And I once described it to, to um, my husband and I said, it's like, um, I, 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 the picture of, I have of, in my head of this is like, I have all these little balloons that I blow up all the time that keep me up and floated. And I make sure that those balloons are there. But if something happens, it's like a bird's flown into them and just popped them all and crash, yeah. down I go. It's all or nothing. I've got the image of um, like up, the housing up. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And and I think that's how I've been and that is exhausting. Mm. And talking to my clients, I don't know whether it's your experience. For me and for my clients, we don't inhabit four to six, you know, four to seven on the mood scale it's it's sort of seven and over or three and less and there's very little time spent in the middle whereas my perception which may be wrong of neurotypical people is that they mostly are in four to seven and occasionally pop up and occasionally pop down but they live in the middle of that. Yes. I don't know what you think. I, not being a neurotypical, I don't know, but from talking and from my impression, I think you're probably right. In fact, funny enough, most of my friends are neurodiverse. <laughs> that's that's what we do, isn't it? We clump, we clump together. But yeah. um, no, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I would say a couple of things. One is just the first thought off the top of my head. I think I probably live closer to the midline than I ever have done. That's one of the benefits of, I was going to say being more mature, I perish the thought, but certainly a bit older. Mm. And also from doing all the coaching and working with people and thinking about stuff and working on myself and all that, uh, like you do. Um, mm. I think I'm finding that middle area a little bit more or quite a lot more than I used to. And um, I'm sure we're going to talk about, um, well, I know we're going to talk about things that uh, that may help in this area. 
but I've been using them as you have and they're working basically. So they're starting to make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I was thinking is um, you said um, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Well, as ADHDers, I think we, we're actually really good with the big things because we get some dopamine and it's like we have to go and stop somebody walking out into the street or I don't know if it's if it's an emotional thing that's a bit different but I think I think if it's really big it triggers us to get all those lovely things like adrenaline flying around in our bodies and therefore and the dopamine and therefore we cope really well and it's afterwards we might have a bit of a crash but when it's a small thing especially if it's you know something I for me if it's something to do with friends and I feel uncertain and oh did I really say that oh god why did I say that oh or I should have done this or I could have done that. And, I, da, 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 da. and that's when I have historically, especially when I was probably until I was about 40, um, around about then, I would get very triggered. <laughs> and that's, so I, I get what you're saying and I do see it in my clients too. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if it's something that relates very personally to us and there is a possibility of fault, blame, error, mm. I know that's, I definitely find that harder to deal with. It's interesting, my last job, the last school I was deputy head at, I really learned to make mistakes comfortably, professionally, mm. which, and I didn't, I didn't really make mistakes, but I learned, I guess what I'm saying, to be, a, that I saw other people at a high level saying, I haven't done that or I couldn't understand this, or um, I think I made the wrong decision there. And the, the, the culture of the team was, was such that everyone went, look, don't worry about it, it's fine. Yeah. And so seeing that happening and sort of then applying it to myself, I actually found very useful and I found myself able to turn around and say gosh you know I'm really sorry I haven't had a chance to look at that or no that's my fault I haven't done it mm. I forgot and those sorts of things which before would have absolutely tipped me into a pit of self-loathing I mean and that's a strong word to me but that's that's sort of how it feels mm. that like oh my gosh I'm so useless what's wrong with me mm. um, and would it go round and round and round and round and round oh Round Three in the and morning. round and round. <laughs> Absolutely. With no no way of getting off it. Mm. Mm. And it would linger and linger and linger. And I don't even know how it would end. Possibly my attention would just get distracted onto something else eventually. And that would change my mood. But it would pop back into my head from time to time. Yeah, sorry, I was just thinking that's actually one of the benefits of ADHD. Yeah, you are distractible. <laughs> so it's it's quite a difficult journey and I think yeah. that middle ground is a sort of the holy grail, isn't it? Mm. To, to be able to step into that middle ground. I mean, I know in Buddhism they talk about the middle path and things. Mm. It's sort of the way of, of peace. And I think, you know... It, that's kind of what it is for us too. That middle ground, living in the four to seven, 
you, you, because you're not, oh, I'm doing this with my fingers so nobody listening can see, but that sort of, you know, if you think of a graph with things going right up to the top and then yep. right down to right the bottom. Down. And yep. of course, a graph where it's just fluctuating a little bit in the middle is much less dramatic and exhausting. So, so I feel same as you with learning to use strategies that I work with my clients on and, and actually really use them is very important. But as I always say to my clients, you know, there are no magic wands. There is no do this and you'll never feel crap again because it just doesn't work like that. But what what it's about is practicing those techniques. Yes, and each time you practice them and you have some modicum of success, you sort of think, oh, okay, hang on, actually, that's that's made a difference to me. Yeah. So should I give you an example of something that happened this week? Absolutely. So I can only say that it's yeah. also you can get feedback from those around you, if you're brave enough to ask, um, that things are starting to change. Have you noticed any difference, blah, 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 blah. And then if you get that back, that gives you evidence for your own self that it's worth doing and that increases your motivation to try it and to be brave enough to stop and and pause and go into the emotion or whatever it is that uh, is is the technique that you're following yeah that's that's a really good point actually i would i would agree with that um so earlier on this week i was out walking my dog as i often am and i was in a really cheery happy mood you know, very much in a nine, I would say. Things were really good. I'd um, been away for the weekend with my husband. I was feeling really chilled and happy and life seemed great and all the rest of it. And then I got a text message through that was not an unpleasant or unkind message from somebody I know, but it was very blunt and... Uh, basically, I'd sent them something that similar to something I'd sent them before that we both laughed at. We sort of had sent to each other. Hmm. And I sent it to this person and they replied and said um, something like, I love you. Please stop sending me these things. <laughs> I felt sick. It was like a punch in the stomach. And my instant I mean like all the balloons were destroyed crashed down to earth and I felt awful I could feel a lump in my throat I thought I'm going to start crying well bless you and it wasn't even you know they were obviously saying look I love you just you know mm. enough now send you and I it wasn't even like I send them see I'm justifying it but I am going to justify it. <laughs> Feel free, go ahead. You have the floor. It, it wasn't even like I sent them. It was a it was a funny little movie of my dog doing something funny. And in the past, we've exchanged funny pictures of our dogs doing something funny. And I don't bombard this person with them, but I think I had sent them two over a period of maybe three or four days but I hadn't for ages before that. Mm. So to suddenly get this message, which was in a, look, you know, I love you loads, but then this really blunt, please stop sending me these uh, 
things like this. Kiss, kiss. So it was bookended. It was what I would describe as a shit sandwich. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, we know about that from chorus. <laughs> no, sorry, the good news sandwich with the good news in the yes. middle. Uh, well, yeah. no, good good news either end in the yes. in the middle. Yes. And so you know this. I love you. Piece of shit. Kiss, kiss. But it really, really hurt me, and I could feel myself going plummeting down and what would normally have happened would be that would be it I would be upset my whole thought process would go from one of isn't life great I'm so excited about the world and I'm in this happy place to oh gosh everything's slightly tinged with despair you know it's all gone into a minor key for musicians out there you know yeah I was just thinking, would you have gone into such a low place if you hadn't been in such a high place? That's really hard to answer because I'm generally either cheerful or not. So I think Mm. even the lowest I would normally have been would be a seven. Mm. Otherwise, I would have already been about a three and then it would have just been awful. So where were you just after you got this message? Oh, Two or three, Mm. you know, like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. I felt sick. I felt, like I said, everything in a minor key, tinged with despair. Suddenly, everything's gone into black and white. The the colour's gone from my life. And I know that sounds really dramatic, but that is the impact that things like this have on my thought process. Mm. And everything shifts and then it's really hard and I would go I would have gone home and I would have got you know really thought about it got really upset about it tried to just you know go about my normal day because I have you know a family and job and all the rest of it but I would have felt I would have had a pain in my chest throughout it all and an underlying sort of you know, tummy ache. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, and I, as I said, I was out in the field, I was walking my dog and I literally stopped as I was walking with my dog and said, right, stop, stop. And said that out loud. And I thought I, and it was that, what we always talk about, it's that awareness. I've got to spot that that is what is happening. Yeah. So I, spotted that that was what was happening and thought ah this thing is happening I am having a response you know yes it's happening right and I'm gonna I've spotted that this is emotional dysregulation you know this is the thing (laughs) so therefore I've got to make a choice now about how I deal with it Mm. and I can either deal with it in the way that I've always dealt with it or I can do something different. And then, and I sort of went through this whole self-coaching process of, if I if I do the same as I always do, which feels kind of comfortable and traditional, even though it's uncomfortable, but I know, I know how it works, what will happen? What would the impact of that be? And I thought, well, I'm just going to feel awful all day, probably beyond, um, I will 
I also go into very binary responses of, mm. um, right, fine, well, I'll never text that person again. You know, that's my, that's my go. Nothing rational. Right, that's it. Fine. I, I will literally never text this person ever again. So that that would be your, I don't know, 10-year-old or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. No, uh, we all have no... one of those or a six-year-old yeah. or a 12-year-old. or a... I'm not going to do it now. Yeah. 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 Yes. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. somebody yeah. asks you politely, you're like, fine, I'll never do it again. I'll never say the words. You know, <laughs> it's gone. It's it's dead to me, this thing. And of course, that's not, that's <laughs> not helpful either. So it's like, right, okay, so I'm, I don't want to play that game anymore. So therefore, I've got to think of something different. I've got to choose a different option and a different way of dealing with this. So I was thinking about the work I do with clients and I was thinking about um, techniques such as alternative um, views and alternative reasons and alternative thought processes. You know, what else could be going on here? And maybe that person's on holiday and they don't, you know, they don't want to download messages. Maybe they're having a really bad day. Hmm. and some some something's annoyed them and or maybe their dog's died or you know all oh, there could be any other reason for this response okay so i sort of established those and then yep. i also establish how useful is it for me for me to carry on feeling like this and hmm. i thought well not at all i don't i actively don't want to so it's then right so what do i have to do what do I know works for me that will change my mood and my thought process before it has time to sort of bed in? And and you made a joke about it earlier about people with ADHD and distraction, but actually distraction for everybody is a great tool, whether that's I'm going to go into a different room, I'm going to put the TV on, I'm going to phone a friend, I'm going to go for a walk. But actually doing something taking some sort of action any sort of action does distract you from your own head a bit mm. dist action mm. dist action yes there we go yes so so i thought to myself right i i've got to i've got to do something different i've got to choose to think about something else and to think about so I did and I really, I think I ended up, I got my phone out and I opened um, Instagram. Something. My Instagram's a very happy place because it's lots of pictures of dogs. And so I thought, right, I'm just going to look at, you know, dogs being funny. And then I'm going to... Sorry, I was just thinking you didn't, you didn't then send them to the person who sent them. No, and I didn't send them to anybody. Oh my God, no. Sorry, go on. And, uh, <laughs> and then I think I did Wordle on my phone and, um, you know, looked, but I, I, and that started the process and I sort of checked in on myself and thought, oh, I am already not feeling a two or a three. That sickness drama has gone from it. And then I sort of thought to myself, right, okay, is this the end of the world? Does this have to be the hugest deal? Is this person saying I'm awful? Have I done something to I haven't. So actually, I can just sort of put that, you know, I was ready to think those sorts of thoughts then and think, you know, actually, is this the end of the world? Do I need to, you know, um, 
never speak to this person again and never text them. And and we spoke about this once, Nikki. Do you remember something had happened and I messaged you and said, you said, well, how are you going to respond to it? And I said, well, I think I just probably need to um, move house and move to another country. <laughs> yes, I remember you saying <laughs> Because that's how you feel. It's like, right, yeah. I just have to leave. I can't I can't stay and do this anymore. And and but once I distracted myself a bit, my rational brain was more uh, ready to uh, go, yeah. actually, yeah. this I don't need to leave the country. I don't need to never speak to this person again. Maybe it's not the end of the world. And then I thought, okay, I'm I've I'm conscious that my mood is probably not a two or a three. Maybe I'm Maybe I am at that sort of four or five. And I thought, right, what else am I going to do? I thought, right, well, I'm not going to go home and talk to my husband about it because that's going to carry it on yeah. and he'll probably be a bit annoyed about it. And then I'll feel his annoyance and that might bring mine up again. Whereas normally I would have done that. I'd have said, oh, you wouldn't believe what's happened. So again, it was that active, right, I'm not going to do that because that puts it back in the spotlight. Mm. So I'm going to go home, I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm going to, while I'm here at the park, I'm going to play with my dog and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to, you know, go for a run with some good tunes on and blah, and just go about my day. And do you know what? I did. And although, and it, it became something that just had annoyed me a bit, rather than... A, 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 I mean, trauma is a strong word, but a small T trauma, something that's really affected me and my well-being and I will think about for ages. Has it completely gone? No. Mm. I'm aware it's there and it, it probably needs resolving at some time. But it's not. I'm not carrying it around with me and it's not affecting my day-to-day mood and my life. And I then did tell my husband about it later in terms of guess what I was able to do today? I got this message and it didn't finish me off. So linking to what you said about speaking to our loved ones, he was like, gosh, that's really good because actually normally that would have been the day written off for you. You'd have struggled emotionally to get through it. Mm. And it it encouraged me that, and I know we know it, but that we do have control over our minds that they are like, I think you describe them one as these sort of unwieldy animals or unwieldy children that sort of run in a scattered direction. But actually we can, it takes a lot of effort, but we can gather them up and, and sort of restrain them. We are in control of our minds, even though our minds fire off in a different way to lots of other people's. Mm. The things that are occurring to me are firstly... um I'm resisting saying great work because it's not for me to say. <laughs> but but heck yeah, but I love a bit of praise. As your as your friend. Great work. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. <laughs> um it's it's that almost having the bravery or the nous or the oomph or the I'm sorry to use the colloquial, the balls, um, to actually stop and choose what we're going to do rather than just allowing ourselves to go headlong into the doom and the gloom and the despair and whatever else it is, because I think at some level, because as you said, it's like a safe zone because we're used to it. It feels comfortable being in that shitty place. And so to pull yourself out of that is 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 good stuff, I'd say. Um, the things that are occurring to me is the, is, is the chimp, the chimp and the human. Uh, Professor Steve Peters, wonderful Geordie guy. Well, he's from the north. 
at Northeast. He is an expert about this sort of stuff, and he came up with the chimp paradox, um, very well known, and I'm reading his latest, well, one of his latest books at the moment. And it's that the chimp acts to save you. It's there to protect you, and it kicks in before anything else. And you have a thing called the computer where you've got downloadable programs, as it were, that are uploaded over your life. And the chimp checks in, and if the, if the computer knows what to do in a situation, it goes off and does it. Otherwise, it refers back to the chimp. This is all happening in milliseconds. And if the chimp decides it doesn't care, then it passes it off to the the human, or as I call it, the adult, or the wise sage, or the the one that's in control, ideally, who can then think about things, the frontal cortex, all those good things. Whereas the chimp gets first dibs on the whole situation. And so we tend to sort of have knee-jerk reactions to things. And as ADHDs, we are very emotionally driven because our frontal cortex may be functioning fairly well, but as I understand it, it's the connections between the frontal cortex and the hindbrain or the limbic system. And so the emotions sit at the back of our heads, if you like, and our thinking bits sit at the front, simplistically. And the chimp kind of sits in the back and the human or the adult sits in the front. And signals from your eyes go straight to the amygdala, so the the chimp, in effect, around the back of your brain. And so you, you react to things before you can think about them. They, they, they then eventually get up to your thinking brain. So to actually stop, especially as ADHD is because we are so emotionally motivated because when we were kids, we couldn't rely on, on the frontal cortex that our friends could. Because all that's going on and we've got that as a history and we need emotions to motivate ourselves and so on, Yeah, we rely heavily on our emotions and we also feel things very deeply. How they measure this, I don't know, but I know I feel more things more deeply than certain partners of mine in the past. I just do. And like you felt very deeply, the repercussions of that text. Now, I think the reason I asked you the bit about would you have felt as low if you hadn't been feeling as high, and I know you said you were a nine, or maybe if you'd been an eight or a seven and a half, you might have gone to a four, possibly, because there's that falling off a cliff thing and you've got further to go. Or you're, when your balloons are burst, you've got further to fall. Sorry, there is a potential something or other in there. But I think what you did was brilliant because you stopped and you mm. thought else you could, what else you could do. The thing that's occurring to me is that when you you weren't carrying it around, there's a bit there, you're a bit annoyed still. Well, when you told me what was in the in the message, I groaned and went, oh, because I, I get it. And it's the it's better with the I love you and I love you and mm. the kiss kiss mm. on either end. But it still doesn't, it mm. sort of almost makes it slightly patronizing in a way because you I don't know there's something there's a squirmy moment in there somehow mm. which is not to criticize the person who sent it but I can see on the receiving end that oh crack on and criticize oh go on them. then well I don't know who it is so I <laughs> perish the thought I should criticize someone <laughs> let alone someone I don't know no but they obviously didn't realize the import well they, perhaps they did that's why they put that <laughs> they love you and the kisses mm. but the the power of a little cross cross at the end of a message is actually quite Amazing, I find. Yeah. Um, I do get this. I, I have the same thing going on. But I know, I think the root of my question was that I know on certain days, I would just notice it and smile at myself and think, oh, yeah, all right, and move on. And other days I'd be really hurt and upset. I just would. See, that's interesting because I don't think, I don't think I'd ever respond to something. I struggle to to respond to things and go oh well that's them i'm learning to but i find i i have to consciously talk myself into it anything that implies that in that message 
I love you, please stop sending to me. There's the implication that I've either done something wrong or I've somehow annoyed or offended somebody. And that pains me. Um, you know, I'm sure there's sort of all, all sorts of unresolved people-pleasing <laughs> habits within me, which I know there are. But I do find it hard to take that, oh, that's them. Yeah. Professionally, I got to a point where I could do that. Mm. And I think even now, professionally, you know, if I speak to somebody about coaching and we have a, a discovery call, and sometimes people turn around and go, do you know, I don't think coaching's for me or it's not the right time or whatever else it is. I used to think that equals you're rubbish. <laughs> yes. But but I don't think that now. Yeah. And actually a lot of the work that I do with <laughs> clients, you know, is it using sort of a CBT type te technique is looking at subtext. Yes. And for a lot of us with ADHD, when somebody says something to them, the subtext we switch on is you're stupid slash rubbish slash disappointing. Lazy. Slash a bit of a failure, yeah, yeah. lazy, etc. And actually the person is then looking at, is that true? Mm. You know, would all the evidence point to that is what that person is saying to you? And of course, 99.9% .9 of the time that isn't what they're saying. Mm. So it's it's being able to put those sorts of filters in place as well. and and But it does start with an awareness. And the problem with our brains, as you absolutely described, is that the amygdala kicks in so quickly with our primitive responses. And my mouth <laughs> is often very synced up with that. And so, some, you know, our... I will have a sort of physical response to something, an emotional response to something, and I'm already verbally responding to it before I've had time to go, oh, hang on, whoa, filter, edit, process, what's going on here? Yes. So the pausing. Yes. Yeah, so it was great in the fact that this was a text because they weren't there. Yeah. And I could choose my response and... You know, I immediately started typing something to them and they thought, stop, put it in your pocket, process. But of course, you can't do that when you're in the middle of a conversation as easily. Depends who you're with, I guess, but you can to a certain extent. I'm just thinking about when you were out with your dog and you got the message and you very laudably stopped and you thought about it and what else could you do and the distraction, dis distraction, um, and you've said subsequently that you're you're still a bit annoyed about it. It hasn't spoiled your week or your day or whatever. Mm. I would be interested in what is going underneath, what it's triggered, and that's probably bigger than we've got time for. But there is the feel, deal, heal. Have you heard of that? No. Yeah, it's a really short acronym for, I mean, the long version is identify, process and shift. But I prefer feel, deal, heal. Uh, not least because it rhymes and it's easy to remember. So when you got this feeling, if you were to allow yourself to feel it rather than to distract from it, and I understand that on, at times that you've got stuff to get on with and you don't want to deal with it, but if you've got a safe space to deal with it, it's good to sort of allow the feeling. I always find it's good to let the feeling come up because if you don't, what you resist persists and it will just come up again. <laughs> As they say about squeezing a spot. Um, it's... Allowing the feeling, because I always think that emotion 
um, I don't know where I heard this. I think it was probably me, actually. But emotion wants to move. Emotion wants to move. And if you try and squash it or stick it in a box somewhere or ignore it, yeah. it will wave at you again in another fashion. So until it's been felt, yeah. and that's either as a thought or as a, a physical feeling or probably both together, then it's not going to go. And I've actually had a, a very wonderful experience of this years ago uh, about an ex-partner when I felt safe with someone and the ex-partner that I'd split up with five years before was still upsetting me. I still carried a torch and this person was holding me in Australia somewhere. And I managed, because I felt safe, I felt this emotion coming up and I didn't know what on earth it was. And I identified it as this previous person. And I decided to dive into it rather than away from it. And I didn't breathe for God knows how long, I don't know, at least a minute, if not two. And I felt like I'd got a knife in my tummy. And I just, I didn't, I just stood there being held by this, this guy. And it was excruciating. And then it lifted and all my feelings just dissipated. They just went and I've never felt them since. And I, I've had that a few times now in my life. And so I love it when I get a really strong feeling because it's a chance to release it. So if, if we, and I know that sometimes it's not convenient to, to face one's feelings, but also oh, it doesn't feel safe. But if we can find a place where we feel safe or at least dip our toe into the feeling and allow it to be a bit, then it will shift. So that's what feel, deal, heal is, or what was the other one? Uh, identify, process and shift. So if you can feel the feeling. I think the, yeah. And I get that. And I think probably for me, part of, I think I probably did do that bit. I just. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point when the awareness came of going, ah, hang on, this is this thing. It was acknowledging and, and you know, I talked about naming it. This is making me feel, what, what is it? What actually is going on here? Mm. Rejected, judged, um, I don't know, whatever other things could come. I think that's what I felt. I felt it was a rejection of, mm. of me. And and so definitely, yes, for me, part of it was acknowledging through identifying or naming as well as feeling it and saying, this is this is what I'm feeling now. But and I agree with you that that actually taking time to sit with those feelings is important. But for me, at that point, the thing that mattered was not dealing with well, I, is it dealing with my emotions? I don't know. It was being more pragmatic about it and saying, right, okay, I know this. I know what's going on here. This is rejection. And okay, so what am I going to do so that I... And it's thinking, actually, am I being rejected? Is this person fully rejecting me? Yep. Blah, blah, blah. And going through that process of, right, okay, let's let's input some stuff here that will make me... Give me space to draw breath by, like I say, distracting... That maybe that's not the right word. Maybe it's diverting. I mean, as well, yeah, diverting your attention. Just sort of say, let let this. I think, right? I okay. So I guess what I'm describing is a situation where you know, on a camera, when you can zoom in and you can really focus. So I think what I'm saying is, is that when I normally feel these things, it's like the camera absolutely zooms in and all you can see in that frame is the problem mm -hmm. and all I was doing I think when I say distracting is let's zoom out mm. so that 
the problem is still there. It hasn't gone, but you can see other things as well. And it kind of settles a bit. So to write, okay, yes, there it is. But I can also see the trees and the flowers and a house and a garden and whatever you can see. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this reminds me of um, the thing I call the telescope, which isn't really a telescope, but it's the nearest thing that I can think of to what I'm talking about, which is I've had things in my life, including fairly recently, where I've been aware that something's been filling up that, as you say, like this massive close up. Of the, on the thing that I don't want. So with my health condition, it's, it's a sense of restriction mm. because I have a restriction. I have various restrictions in my life, but equally I have things I can do. And being able to coach is the biggest freedom I could ever want. So getting to do this every day is just marvellous and joyful and wonderful. And I get to do this, but I was focusing on the restriction. Mm. So I was washing up one day after I'd had a coaching session. And I don't know if I've mentioned this before. My coach had just said, well, I'm afraid you'll have to reframe this. And I went, oh, thanks. Don't we have a lovely NLP tool or something? No, no, you're going to have to reframe it. Oh, thanks. So we had a laugh about about that. But um, I was washing up a couple of days later, and as coaching often does, it sort of filtered through. And I suddenly got this image of a telescope with pictures at either end. And the end that I was seeing, large and shiny and big and colourful, right near me, like your close-up, was the restriction. And I had an image of a portcullis in front of a beach, and I wanted to sprint along this beach, and I can't, and all this kind of stuff. And then... I suddenly saw the coaching at the other end, yeah. this small little picture of me coaching. And my brain just swizzled them around, hang on, like that, so that the big end went down the far end and the far end came around this end. And suddenly I was seeing all this, and I, I, do you know, I've actually got goose pimples now talking about it. And I thought, so I'm choosing to focus on the restriction when I could choose to focus on that joy. Because living joyfully and feeling free is, is just unbelievable. And we talked before about having the quiet mind when I'm coaching. And I love having a noisy, interesting, chaotic, slightly mind a lot of the time or lots going on in there. But having that peace that you were talking about at the beginning, the peace is just part of the joy of the coaching. So I get, you know, a couple of hours or so every day or more <laughs> just feeling peaceful during the coaching and interested and engaged. And so it was switching the focus. So I think it's similar to what you were talking about. Brilliant. I love that. I love that. They both, I think they both work really well. I'll, I'll use that with, with clients. Feel free. <laughs> I'll use your close-up as well. Yeah. I love that too. So they work, no, they work very well together because it's slightly different, but they're very much along the same lines. Yeah. And, and I think probably this topic is one that we could do a part two of mm. because there are loads of strategies and I think there are different circumstances. You know, I just shared that as one example and, and of something that could have tipped me over but didn't. Mm. But there are t there are times when actually that emotional regulation it, it is such a bumpy journey. It is so hard to manage, and maybe there's problems with the ups mm. and wanting to be up and 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 it's very it's very complex because it's about our emotions and trying to sort of actually explain this irrational. I've been listening to these podcasts by a guy called Dr. Robert Puff. He's a psychologist and. He does a thing called the Happiness, the Happy Podcast, the Happiness Podcast. And he just does these little 15-minute snippets. And they're so good. And it's, mm. it's about, like, what we've just been talking about. And he was the one I was listening to this morning, you know, knowing we were going to talk about this. So it was, it was sort of the universe throwing this at me. But it was called The Razor Edge. And he said, basically, happiness, sort of that mental happiness, is a razor edge that we walk along. And at any moment, we can slip and cut ourselves. Mm. 
And and he was saying that actually it's about having that choice to be able to sort of let things go and that you it's about saying, am I going to let this be something that affects the whole of the rest of my day? You know, you know, so for example, you know, he, he describes you you go on this perfect holiday, you know, you're setting yourself, I'm gonna go on this perfect once a lifetime holiday and you arrive and it's that the room's not ready. Well, you have a choice then to either plumb it into, oh, I've slipped off, it's gonna be awful, oh, that's a problem, or you just go, Okay, well, the room will be ready later. And you deal with the now and you go, actually. This is just presenting me with a different alternative, which I can either choose to accept or really rail against. And if I rail against it, that's when I'm going to slip off the razor and cut myself. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. I just had a thought. Because yeah. having known you for a while now and worked with you and in both directions, reciprocal coaching sessions we've had and what you've told me, hmm. I have a suspicion that you were a bloody good deputy head as well as a bloody good teacher. And hell, even you thought you were. <laughs> I was. So I think I I have, a, you know, in, in the singing, sorry, I'm putting things together here. In the singing, we talk about transferable skills. So if you learn a new skill because you're working on a song with a coach and then you go back to sort of the old repertoire, you can transfer the skill that you've just learned to the old repertoire. And so you sing it better, even better. I like to think that we, we do. And so... I think you might have handled things very differently at work, and you did allude to this earlier, in your professional fashion. So you would have been very much in that camp that the guy was just talking about, um, that if you get there and it's not ready or something. I think the professional or deputy head teacher would have been, oh, okay, so what can we do about this? And All right, fine, blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you're more in your own, if you like, uh, if the chimp gets a look in, mm. then you're going to go into the plummeting down to a two and all the balloons bursting and flying around the room or whatever. So I, I wonder if there's some mileage in there somewhere as well, something. I think that's really interesting. And I think actually that that's made me think um, you're right. There are transferable skills. And I think I learned them at work first because it wasn't so personal. Mm. So if there were problems or difficulties or things went wrong, I could emotionally, I learned to emotionally regulate. I mean, don't get me wrong. When people used to come in screaming and shouting about things, my reaction at first was, oh my gosh, they're screaming, shouting at me response. But you gradually learn, oh, they're not screaming, shouting at me. They're just screaming, shouting about something. And I happen to be here, which is very different. Mm. Um, and so I did because it was slightly removed from being about me. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's seeing life as a series of opportunities to learn that emotional regulation and sort of, I don't know, like we do in coaching, you say, well, where would be a good place to start? And, you know, if you think, gosh, there's one situation where I'm often thrown, mm. okay, well, I'm just going to start there and I'm going to start working on that one thing. And I guess it's the first thing I would suggest for people to, if anyone's listening and thinking, gosh, you know, where do I start with all of this would be awareness. Mm you know, notice it's happening. It's almost at that moment that you sort of grab hold of something that stops you zooming off. You know, I we always feel like we're on a motor. I feel like I'm blown around by the wind a lot of the time, especially emotionally. But it's it's like grabbing an anchor and saying, right, hang on, I, I'm just going to stop here for a minute so I don't get mm. blown away and blown off on a whim with this. Can I suggest a question? It's just popped into my head. Mm. Mm. 
we love a what if, don't we? Mm. A what if. It's a great coaching question. Mm. So the question just popped into my head because as ADHDers, I think this, especially as ADHDers, this is such a relevant question. What if it's not about me? <laughs> That's a good question. Because we always think it's us. Always. We have always thought <laughs> it's about us. Therefore, in the future, it may not be. No, it's so true. And that's the, whether it's RSD, especially RSD, especially is, is, as I said earlier, you know, what have I done? What have I done? As you said, what have I done wrong? Uh, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I wish I'd done this. Oh, God, the, I want the ground to open up. Uh, shame, embarrassment, uh, regrets, you name it. Leave the country. Leave the country. Absolutely. Uh, or the planet. <laughs> You know, why should we stop yeah. here? Let's just go up to the moon or, or Mars or the next solar system. So yeah, I think I think there is something in that. And I definitely think it's worth picking up again. I think there's some, some mm. lovely threads from this conversation that we can we can look at another time or the next time. I think so. I think we should do a part two of this. Yes. So um, strap yourselves in, everyone. Here we go. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> um, thank you, Kerry. That was that was fab. Brilliant. Thank you for your sharing and um, I'm sure that will be helpful to a lot of people out there mm. and thank you for your you know your uh, your view of it. it it's always helpful to have that other perspective of somebody to just reflect back to you but also to inject alternative well to flip the telescope round absolutely or or use the close I love the close-up as well because that dovetails beautifully with the telescope so thank you for that brilliant well I have a good couple of weeks and I will speak to you soon thanks Carrie. take care bye Thanks so much for listening to the ADHD Connection. Um, as we're just starting out, it would really help if you spread the word to anyone else who might like to listen. So please, could you click to subscribe, leave a review on your usual podcast app, especially Apple, Spotify, Google or YouTube. And of course, we'd love you to like and share it. If you want to find out more about us, our websites are in the show notes. And thanks again. We're looking forward to being back with you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.